Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 85. And today we're going to be talking about one of the big words that is happening in the conversation around Christianity, and that's deconstruction. What is it? What does it mean? How do we respond to it? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Thank you guys so much for continuing to journey with us on this conversation on this podcast. We got a big episode for you guys today, and so I'm excited to kind of jump into it. As always, we have Bernard, Xenia, and Shu with us. How are you guys doing? Hello, hello. Yo, yo. Hello, hello. What's up? Bernard is throwing up a peace sign because we're... Oh, sorry. I muted myself. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't recorded in so long that we have forgotten how to mute and unmute. This is great. This is great. But today we're talking about deconstruction. And so deconstruction has been this word that's been floating around for quite a while. And it's been brought more into the forefront as of recent years. And this has been really talked about in kind of the North American context. It's been experienced for sure in the Canadian Asian context, and perhaps it's not always labeled as such, but it is happening. And so we felt it's important to talk about this idea. What is deconstruction? How do we engage with it? And though it's not something that's new, we need to continue to think about how do we process, where do we go from here? I think you guys, if you guys have joined us for our podcast over the last number of years, you've heard us use the word as well. And we've always tried to pair the word with reconstruct. And we believe that's a big part of the the process and the journey and the part of the wrestling with, with others as well. But we want to kind of focus a little bit more first on what is deconstruction and what does that mean for us as it pertains to the church? Is it a good word? Is it a bad word? How does it affect us as we consider what does it mean to be on God's mission? How do we engage with our own Christian faith? And how does it connect with our discipleship? Because it has been connected a lot, especially how we are being formed or how we're being unformed, if we can almost use that word. Now, to be honest, when I think I heard the word deconstruction the first time a number of years ago, my mind kind of went to Transformers. I was like, deconstructicons, you know? But that's obviously not what we're talking about today. We're talking about something else. And so how would you guys, first of all, define deconstruction? And this is not like a a dictionary definition. What has just your experience been with it? How do you understand it? Yeah, I guess like if you don't go kind of the academic route, which is kind of from the post-structuralist philosophy, like that's kind of shaped by some of the existentialist stuff. And when we're just looking at deconstruction as a practice, I think it's it probably starts with like a mistrust of a larger story of this kind of meta story that kind of holds everything and kind of begin to to stir people to question, right? Your the process of deconstruction is questioning. You're trying to wonder like, well, well, why, right? Like, like a two-year-old that will keep asking, well, why, right? You know, one of the big 
analogies of the danger of deconstruction is like an onion. So if you keep peeling, what are you going to get in the middle? Nothing. <laughs> and hence we have to reconstruct. But when we think about deconstruction, there's also kind of the understanding of like what what shapes that. And, and some people I think are worried that they also kind of pair it with the shift from modernity to postmodernity. And where there's a shift from kind of this objective understanding of things to the kind of subjective. So, so there isn't really a truth, there are truths. And so you're trying to deconstruct that a truth to like, well, this is how I see the truth. So I think like that's a little bit on how we have understood to define deconstruction. I think I resonate a lot with what you just shared, B. And I think there definitely is some of the response reaction to modernity, enlightenment, and all of that. I think about it also, perhaps even in critical reasoning terms, and thinking about an argument, you know, you kind of reduce it to its premises. You look through the argument about how the argument was formed and where it came from, and start paring it down. And I think that has its uses. And I think there's value in how we can kind of go back and see where something originated, when we kind of simplify certain things or, you know, unpack certain things that then we can focus in and hone in on one particular thing and see, well, is that good or is that right? You know, is that helpful for us? I think where it's sometimes wrapped up around fear is that it's, it's almost as if, if certain things are deconstructed, will we lose our foundation? And I think that for me is, is what I've been hearing a lot. And some people almost rejecting it or dismissing it because they're worried with where it can go. And the sense that those who have deconstructed have perhaps gotten to a place where they fell into either despair or they couldn't reconcile certain things and therefore have walked away from the faith or perhaps moved into a, a completely different perspective and mindset. But I don't know if it necessarily has to be at either extreme. If it's considered as part of the process to unpack something, to reduce something, to focus on something, but then to rebuild it up, I think that it can be something that is very helpful for us and helpful for reimagining. And hopefully as we deconstruct and reconstruct, we don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Sometimes we get too honed in on one particular thing that that one thing becomes the, the major issue, which it may not always be. So I think that's kind of been my experience listening and reading articles and books and, and what does that mean? And so for sure, something that is happening in the context of our faith and churches but also what's happening in the world too. And so if it's happening in the world, how does the church engage with that if we don't have a sense of understanding of what deconstruction is and where it can go? Yeah, I, can, I don't think you can run away from, from this term and, and what's going on. Like I, I feel there's, there's so much what's going on in the church and, and in society that has, you know, because of internet, because of just the access of information to everything, like just the other day, I had a friend who used to come to our church and he was really worried about Bart Ehrman. 
this historian scholar used to be an evangelical now who's fully against uh, Christianity and trying to take down the, the uh, validity of the Bible. But he's like, oh, he makes some really good points. And how come the church never taught me this? So in a sense, in that moment, he was deconstructing his, his own faith and almost like having a crisis moment. And I find that <laughs> it's so interesting because just like from a YouTube, like people can just, you know, boom, their whole like framework can be like just shattered. And then they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then they come to me and ask me, hey, fix this for me. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> so it, it's just interesting where I feel like we're in a, a, a time and space even more so that people can not only question some things in their mind, they might be hearing a sermon or reading the Bible going, why would God do this? Why do we understand this this way? Why is this person preaching this? But now it's like, oh, tons of people have done work to totally just, you know, tear down the system, tear down the framework. So I find it interesting that that now, you know, and the pandemic probably is even, you know, made people be more reflective even more. So they're just thinking about more things uh, within, you know, why do I believe what I believe? How come the church is, you know, so many messed up things going on in the church. So a deconstruction of things will happen, whether in their their understanding or their values or, or whatnot, and the things they were brought up with. And I think a lot of times in at least the Canadian Asian context, you're kind of worried that everything that you were, your all your beliefs and stuff you were founded on was is fraudulent <laughs> at the end of the day. So there's just like a fear. And some people kind of look more deeply into it and they'll take more time to be more aware. But then other people will just kind of, you know, also just okay, I'm jumping ship now, you know, and I felt even worse because of the shame or the guilt the church or other people put on me. So I, I find, yeah, that that's what I find is kind of happening at this time in this moment. And like you said, John, I think there's also, you know, there's a need to reconstruct <laughs> as well. I won't lay out my cards all right now, but yeah, I do think that's, that's kind of the lay of the land of deconstruction, but yeah, just from what I'm, what I'm coming from. In a lot of ways, I think that this deconstruction movement is a reckoning, right? Like it's everything coming to a head, which you could say the same thing about global politics at the moment. And we don't really exist in a vacuum. I, I think particularly those of us, you know, in the last episode, John and Byrne were talking a little bit about Christendom and through their book that they're reading. And really what we're seeing is a reckoning with that. If you look at some of the, the movements that's happening down in the States, up here, the celebrity crisis, the sex scandals, all of these things is because as a church, we've been entwined with power and we have not stewarded our resources and we've bowed to other gods. That sort of movement in the last 200 years is really entwined with American exceptionalism. So, you know, as America and the golden sort of halo around America gets shattered in the last two decades, what does that happen or how does that affect our faith? So in a lot of ways, I see this as really hopeful because finally we get to strip ourselves of the lies that we, and the masks and the facades that we've been hiding behind and actually have real conversations. The downside, of course, is, as you've all been mentioning, is that real people get hurt in the mix of all of this. Mm. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of sadness and shame, even guilt, right? So the question that you know your congregant had for you, Shu, about why 
we didn't get the, taught this in church. I don't really have it. It's not specifically for your church, but in general, um, Mark Knoll wrote this book and it's coming out again this summer as a second reprint with a new foreword and it's called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And I would suggest that if you're interested in why we're at this point, Mark Knoll is probably one of the people you should read, but it really is that. It's that the we haven't been able to actually incorporate our intellectuals well in the church. You know, I, I know some professors who have remained within the church and who've said like, yeah, I just sit in the pews and I didn't get to teach Sunday school or whatever. And, you know, any opinion that they have, it's not really welcomed. So there's some of that. I'm not saying that like Chinese churches that's, that's or Asian so churches in particular, but. Man. In my kind of studying and, and my experience is that a lot of the deconstruction is of, like you're saying, actually, yeah, like American evangelicalism, which I think for, for me, and I think, Zina, you've talked about this before in, in other podcasts, that it's just like, our churches have been very infiltrated by that. Like our foundation is based on a lot of American evangelicalism. So a lot of the deconstruction is deconstructing that particular, un, you know, interpretation of, of, or tradition of Christianity. And rightly so, I think it should be like deconstructed. And why, why did we come to these things? And why are, are we so founded on, on these things and not having spaces to have those conversations? It's so sad to not have seminary professors be able to speak up and to have some of the dialogue in what's going on, but sometimes we become so entrenched. So it's like, that's what I think causes the pain too. Some leaders become so entrenched with the tradition, they'll almost react violently. I, I don't know if that, that that's the right term. But. It's like an uprooting process. I was just going to echo that and then just say, like, I think it's wider than that. I think we think that is just the American exceptionalism. But, you know, you look at the Catholic Church as a whole and having like a Franciscan who is now, you know, the Pope causes people to have to deconstruct. Because your Pope now just don't talk like your other Popes. His posture doesn't posture like the other Popes. The vestiges that, you know, you hang on to are not the same now. Like the meaning is different, right? And so I think like it's a global phenomenon that affects all of faith. But for us as Canadians, yes, like I think that we are heavily influenced by American exceptionalism. And this kind of warp sense of it, because like we were kind of like a microcosm of something that the American bring, you know, I always joke with my American friends, like, oh yeah, like where are the mega churches in Canada? Like according to your standard, we have not, <laughs> you know, even that kind of nuancing is fascinating, like a double deconstruct. <laughs> yeah. And I think as part of this podcast too, we're also considering how specific cultural influences have been married into that. And how things have been interpreted or internalized, what might it look like to even peel back some of those layers? What would we find? And what would that experience look like? And perhaps it'd be really painful <laughs> to, to see that. And hopefully we would be able to have a way forward to wrestle together and to have conversations. And this was just mentioned earlier that, you know, have we lost the ability to be able to have conversation and to be listening to one another in these particular areas? Or is there an expectation, like she was saying, just give me the answers, just fix this for me, tell me what to believe. But perhaps that's part of the problem that has left us to be almost atrophied or anemic from being able to engage in this way. 
And then when we do, it's like we break a bone, <laughs> you know, it's like we, we just don't have those muscles trained to be able to do that. And as Xenia, you were saying, it's a reckoning, right? It's, it's coming to the forefront. We're experiencing it, but we don't know how to deal with it. And we're just feeling the effects of it. And so, you know, to either unpack the specific you know, philosophies of American evangelicalism, or even unpack the cultural things. And I think one of the things that was also very eye-opening is listening to one of our friends of the podcast, Lisa Pack's presentation on her thesis, and her talking about specific cultural words that were used to paint and to describe women in a certain way that almost prevent them from even thinking about being a leader. And I was blown away by just listening to stuff like that. And of course, we're going to have her back because, you know, of course. But all these kind of things in thinking about deconstruction have caused me to realize how important it is to engage in this way. And it's not to say that when we deconstruct, we're there to dismiss and to ultimately push out those perspectives, even though some people will cry from the rafters that certain things don't need to be deconstructed, they need to be destroyed, right? That, you know, in that sense, you know, it can be part of a healthy process, but perhaps we don't know how to have that process. Yeah, and I, I think we've been saying, oh, it's about reconstruction. And I, I think we sometimes forget the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this, that when people begin their journeys towards deconstruction or in the middle of it. Like God isn't gone. God is present. God is there. And some of the reason why I've been a little bit fed up with this conversation is because there's been a lot of shouting. I I dislike shouting and I dislike arguments. I'm not a very conflict-oriented person. But it's also because if we're shouting, we're not actually walking with people who are going through the process. Amen. And I think... You know, one of the ways in which God moves in his world is through his people. And well, what does it look like for us to walk alongside people, to bear witness to God, to listen with people to what God is saying, to listen to them and to figure out what they're hearing from God? It might not sound like God in the moment, but we don't get the larger snapshot of their story. But one of the things that my church is doing, so I've got a whole church full of people who are kind of deconstructing, kind of not. It's hard to know on the journey. But one of the things that we've done is because we've grown up non-denom for the most part, uh, broadly evangelical, we've actually reconnected to a church tradition. And so we've been very intentional about drawing from this tradition, from learning from this tradition, and figuring out in the original days of the Methodist movement, how was God moving them? And what, what practices did they, did they incorporate that brought them closer together as a community and to serve the poor and to worship God together? A lot of it is, you know, eating together, studying together, being with one another, paying attention to the poor. We haven't started singing yet, but that's Charles Wesley. So maybe we should do that. <laughs> but things like that, you know, like it's, it doesn't have to be complicated. I think that is a timely word. How do we walk with one another? So like, you know, you think about deconstruction and, you know, like, I think we, John, you had the question of like, 
we don't really know how to really work through it. But then it's interesting because then I've read stuff where people have said like, oh, you know, we should avoid deconstruction. It's not biblical, blah, blah, blah. But then I guess my question is like, you look at Jesus on Sermon on the Mount, he's with his people and he is, you know, teaching them, talking with them. And he says, you have heard it said, but I'll tell you this, that is deconstruction. Jesus was deconstructing the practices, the rules, the way of life, and he's helping them to reconstruct a new way of life. So I think like it, it really have to challenge us to think, you know, like, you know, when we think biblically, do we just mean like, there's no deconstruction, the word of deconstruction in there, but, you know, really. There's so many words that we use that are not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So I think just like, you know, just understanding the, the larger nuance. <laughs> no, like there is so much there that it's just like what I find ends up happening, because I, I totally agree with you and Xenia, like coming alongside, that's the discipleship process. But we don't have many leaders who are very apt to do that, I find. So it's even like the people who are supposed to be the mature ones who are supposed to be walking with people you don't have many people who are willing to do that. So they'll go actually, usually what I find happens, go up to the institutional level and just here are the fence rules or here are the, the rules that we created from our tradition and just deal with it, teach that, and then let them abide by that or something like that. Versus having people who are able to walk, like, like you're saying, like, like being like Christ, walking with them, trying to understand what questions are on their minds. And, you know, Christ was, of course, I think the best at it because he like, okay, let's deal with this question because it's important. But usually it's just more like, let's just point you back to what the rules or what the, the historic teachings are and you just got to deal with it or something, you know, no questions asked almost. But of course, I think for all of us here, I think the best people that have we've walked with allowed us to ask the questions walked with us on that journey and were able to patiently, you know, I'm sure, you know, some of us, I, I was pretty dumb, you know, asking, you know, always pushing uh, Uncle Simon, you know, always just like, the answer's Jesus, right? You know, like, <laughs> just, he gets so annoyed. But, you know, like, but I had some people be patient and walk with me to do that. But I don't, I feel like not many leaders are willing to do that. But I also wonder, like, if we need to push the margins a little bit, even when we understand mature Christians and leaders, because I think like maybe we also have our own conceptions of who's mature and who, who can lead. But then there's also kind of the, we turn to specific people for answers instead of collectively working through answers. And that's also kind of a major posture change that maybe that's just kind of part of our institutional formation, right? Wow, you're uh, brr, pu punching on like a big button there, man. I think it's just, you know, like that's kind of where our church is moving towards, right? Like trying to not be like, well, it's not the pastors that have all the answers. God gave us communities to form the answers. You know, it wasn't just Peter who was talking to everybody. It was James. It was Barnabas, it was Paul, like they had different answers. They were framing things that were different and unique to something that they were wrestling with, like in, you know, the first Council of Jerusalem. And so I think like when we think about that, I think we often also talk about the fivefold giftings, like this is where the prophets and the apostles need to be a part of that conversation. You know, maybe like as we were working 
towards stuff like this, we need to pay attention to the people who are causing the discomforts and the, and the like, ah, it's a weird question, but it's like, well, maybe that weird question is actually important for us, you know? And I know like I'm pushing against something that may not be, you know, part of our practice, but again, like maybe, maybe this is part of the deconstructive process, you know? B is deconstructing on this podcast. <laughs> it's happening in real time. <laughs> I'm going to ask, like, what happens when you've got a community who has driven away their apostles and prophets and evangelists? Like, what happens then, right? <laughs> maybe you start with asking for forgiveness and inviting them to speak into your life. Just saying. And I, I'm going to say that I wonder if we need to see the whole church landscape as, a, as, as one ecology again, to be hearing from different churches, to be more collaborative, to actually be in partnership together, if that might actually help heal some of the wounds. So when you're in your own echo chamber, you only pay attention to what's in front of you, right? And so for me, one of the greatest blessings has been getting to know the Dale like Erin Oxford and what her ministry is doing down there is amazing. And it keeps me focused on like, oh, you know, my suburban sort of reality is not the reality for most people. So what does it mean for me to pay attention to the poor, even if I'm not directly serving the poor at this moment? Because it changes how we live life. You know, Jesus says to the rich young man, it's easier you know, for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think sometimes, like, when we've gotten to the point where we only see our wealth, and and I'm using wealth a little bit more broadly than material wealth, we get so bloated a little bit, we forget who Jesus is. We miss the whole thing. I think that's just my encouragement, like, to just notice that we ought to be like the children who approach Jesus. Or, you know, the, the young woman who knows that she needs Jesus, but can't even approach Jesus and, and touch his robe so that she can be healed. Like, I wonder what happens when we say, you know, this is our vision of the kingdom of God, to, to notice the margins, to know again that we might, we might be the, the people in the crowd who are preventing the margins from getting to Jesus, but we also simultaneously are at the margins who need Jesus. And so what does that look like for us to come together as a church to rediscover that again? I think one of the things that my dad always reminds me of is the place of prayer. How do we see prayer as part of the process of walking with one another and waiting on the Lord and reminding ourselves our dependency on the Spirit's work as we go through deconstruction and reconstruction? And I think that's always been an encouragement and a reminder for me because it's not just something that is like, okay, let's pray at the start and end of a meeting, but to actually think about what does it mean to really seek the Lord together? And how does prayer become one of the gateways and conduits for that as we pray and ask God to reveal himself and ask God to lead us and ask God to work in the midst of these type of questions? And so, I think I'm, I'm, I just wanted to share that because I think sometimes it can become such a mental exercise or it can be something that's so abstract, but I think prayer brings it back down to the relationship with God and with one another, that perhaps that is one way in which we can envision a, a way forward.
And just to follow up on what you were saying, John, about prayer, and I think like prayer is probably one of the most ancient practices, right? And I think when we think about deconstruction, like it's not like you destroy everything. It's really like wrestling with where this comes from. But then there's also the importance of tradition and history. And, you know, as Senior was talking about, like the intentionality of rooting oneself with, you know, a larger body of believers in a particular tradition, like our history also anchors us. And, you know, the one thing that I really appreciated in, in Stuart Murray's book, when we're talking about post-Christendom is he, he definitely like breaks down and destroys like how, how poorly we've colonized and, and, and shaped this Christendom mindset. But he also did not neglect to say that there is beauty and creativity in the midst of it and that God was still there in the midst of it. Like he wasn't completely absent. And so I think like that, that is also kind of key that we don't lose sight of, you know, this intersection of beauty and chaos in the midst of our deconstructive process. I don't don't know, B. I'm like, you have such a high idealistic, like everything in me is like, that sounds amazing. But oh (laughs) my goodness, like the, the average person I'm thinking about is like... Yeah, but I yeah I totally I totally agree with that. I I wish there's space for that, but it's just like who's gonna create it? Who's gonna be those space creators for that? And maybe that's my challenge. And you know, I would challenge the listeners and you know and and each other here. Like, will we be those space creators? Will we be part of that that and and walk alongside people there and allow for some of the messiness and that there will be messy conversations, but. I get it too. Like, you know, sometimes we just want to anchor ourselves somewhere. Like we want to just not have to deal with it. And just like, it's nice to have the, the cheat sheet or the curriculum and just, okay, yeah, you just go, go. Everything's all good now. But I do hope that there will be spaces and and patience. Like I think as, as Xenia was saying before that we would do that, but I don't know. I keep seeing there's these moments Okay, so one thing that reminded me recently, actually, was just the story of the prodigal son. Can we see people's journeys that way? People might even have to leave. You know, people might have to do their own stuff. But are we open enough to have our arms wide open and even run to people like, like the father did? And I, 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 I wrestle with that because a lot of times I don't want to. But God kind of smacks me in, in the head and like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just remember what I'm about. And I'm like, okay, okay, just... You know, so that's that's something that that came to mind as you were sharing that. But I also, you know, as an encouragement, though, promise I won't say anything else more after this. I've been saying a lot, but just like you know, when we think about you know success in church, we think of mass revival. We think about all that, right? But could it not be that this deconstructive process, this healing, this seeking to renewal, this this kind of slow journey process, is actually a trickling instead of like this kind of fire hose of you know people kind of changing, and, and maybe that that also shifts our posture of not like you know, <coughs> mega church versus house church, <coughs> and like mega smaller it, church. <coughs> totally not about like the biases or whatnot, <laughs> but I'm just saying like. And I think even in big churches too, right? Like sometimes it is the one or two that begins to get it, right? You talk, we talk about like mature leadership and whatnot. Like it is the trickling, it is the couple, you know, and it would be hard for them to be there. But, you know, Zinio was saying like, what if you cast out all the prophets and apostles? Well, maybe God is making new ones. 
maybe this is your time, our time to protect those prophets and apostles. Uh, we are willing to stake our lives on it, you know? Or the church doubles down. Well, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I'm just, I'm in this bad, <laughs> bad place right now. I don't know. Shu just wants to open up a new can of worms for us to get into. But I think we have to wrap up our episode because there's just been so much to continue to wrestle through for ourselves. Like, this is a great way for us to end, which is to almost redefine how to engage in this way, that it's not engaging in it with the answers or as experts or people who have studied through everything and jumping into the conversation with a position or whatnot. But maybe maturity and the courage really is to just open up that space, to have the posture of the Father and to welcome people into it and to see how that can bring about healing and reconstruction. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. And perhaps we'll come back and revisit this down the road. But we really appreciate all you guys as listeners for joining us. And let us know what your experience is like with deconstruction. And what has it meant for your church and those around you? How have you continued to unpack that? And what are some of the roads toward reconstruction? As always, we'd love to hear from you. You can always get in touch with us through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or by email. You can reach us at contact.campodcast at gmail.com. That's contact.campodcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. That helps us to get this conversation out there. Remember to share it with others as well. You've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.